Brilliant. Thanks, Mike. Let's pray together, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you speak to us, that you reveal yourself to us through your Word. Uh, And so now, Father, we ask that your Spirit would work uh, as we open up your Word together, as we hear your voice. Uh, Would we listen and take to heart what you have to say to us now? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've, um, if you've been with us uh, for the last couple of weeks or so, we've, we, we've come to week three in our little series looking at hope uh, in the book of Isaiah. Uh, and if you have been with us, then you'll know that we've asked kind of two big questions over the last few weeks. Uh, two questions that I think most people ask in one way or another at some point in their lives. The first question was, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? As we, as we look around us, uh, we can all agree, uh, whoever we are, that, that things aren't perfect, that, that something is wrong. But the question is, what? What is it? What, what is the, the cause, the, the root of the problems that we see in the world? And we saw, didn't we, that Isaiah chapter 1 it gave us the answer. Isaiah 1 said that the problem, the fundamental problem with the world is that people have deserted God. Uh, that we've, we've turned our back on our maker uh, and the result has been uh, darkness and despair and death from that moment on. What is wrong with the world? Uh, that brought us to, to week two and our second big question, which was where is God in all of the mess? Has God abandoned us? People have turned their back on him, but, but has God turned his back on us? And that took us to Isaiah chapter 9, where we saw the answer was no. No, God has not abandoned his people. He, he's not a, a distant, disinterested or detached kind of God, but instead a God who intends to, to deal with the darkness that we face. Uh, we saw, didn't we, that, that he'll do that um, through the gift of a child, uh, a son. Uh, the one, Isaiah 9 verse 2, who will be a light in the darkness. Uh, God will deal with the darkness. Uh, which brings us to the third question, our question this evening, that is how. How is God going to do this? How is he going to fix the mess? How will he deal with the darkness? How will the the birth of a child make any real meaningful difference to my life today? And the answer we find in Isaiah chapter 11 that we've just had read is that God is going to fix the mess through his Messiah. It's through God's chosen, promised, anointed king that he's going to put the world right. We got a a glimpse of this king back in chapter 9, didn't we? We heard about the child who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we began to see in those verses in chapter 9 that this child is God's chosen king, uh, the one who would sit on David's throne forever. And so now as we come to chapter 11, we skipped over a couple of chapters, but we arrive here and, and in chapter 11, Isaiah fills out that picture of this king. 
He paints for us a, a portrait of the Messiah, God's King, and his, his big message is clear. His message is put your hope in this one. Trust in him because it is only him, only this King, who can provide the security, the peace, and the joy that we all long for. He is the only one who can deal with the darkness. So we're going to spend the next bit of time this evening looking at Isaiah's portrait of this king. Uh, look with me back at verse 1. Verse 1, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The first thing that Isaiah wants us to know about this king in verse 1 is that he's a, a shoot that will come out of the stump of Jesse. In other words, he is from the line of Israel's great king David, the son of Jesse. Uh, that means he's the inheritor of God's big promises back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the promise that there would be a king that would sit on David's throne forever. A king of a kingdom that would never end. And so Isaiah says straight away, look, this is the one. This is, this is the promised king, the king in the line of David. The one who will reign on David's throne. And we can see in verse 2 that, as we would expect, this king has the spirit of the Lord. Except it's the spirit in, in all of his fullness. Verse 2 reads like this kind of ultimate character reference, doesn't it? Uh, this king will be full of wisdom, uh, of understanding, of counsel and might. And most importantly, Isaiah says he will, he will know and fear the Lord. Uh, in the Bible, to, to have knowledge of someone is not just to, to know stuff about them, uh, to be able to list a bunch of facts about a person. No, to, to know someone is to, to have a, a deep and personal relationship with them. And so this king, he, he knows the Lord, says Isaiah. He knows him deeply, intimately, personally. And that knowledge, do you see, it, it, it leads to fearing the Lord. As we saw at the beginning of Isaiah, and as we've seen in Revelation on Sunday mornings, God is the creator and sustainer of all things. The universe and, and everything in it belongs to him. He is perfect. He's holy, he's righteous, he's just, he is glorious. And so Isaiah says, knowing a God like that, it'll mean fearing him. Contrast that to uh, the king of Assyria. Uh, we've been just skimming through a few chapters in Isaiah, so we've not done much of the kind of historical context, but the king of Assyria at the time was not a good guy. Uh, and he was not a guy who feared the Lord. Uh, just listen to how he talks back uh, in chapter 10. Uh, the king of Assyria says this, By the strength of my hand I have done this, and by my wisdom, because I have understanding, I have removed the boundaries of nations. I've plundered their treasures like a mighty one. I have sub subdued their kings. This big-time king at the, in the region talks about all that he has done all the conquering, 
all the pillaging, all that, all that he has done in his power. He does not fear the Lord one bit. And sadly, though they might not sound like the king of Assyria, that is true of so many leaders today, isn't it? Even the people we can think of as, as wise or intelligent or strong leaders in our world, even those people tend to be more like the king of Assyria than God's king here. They are proud. They are self-sufficient. They do what is right in their own eyes. They rely on their own strength. And they do it with no reference to God whatsoever. But that is not the case for this promised king. Isaiah says he knows and fears the Lord. And can you see as well that that the fear is not a negative thing. He delights in the fear of the Lord. In other words, for this king, it is a joy to stand in awe of God. He, he delights to live in perfect obedience to the Lord. Joy and fear are not opposites for this king. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive. No, the king delights in the fear of the Lord. And living in that, that knowledge, in that fear of the Lord, means that this king's rule is good. Verse 3, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, <coughs> but with righteousness he will judge the needy. People make snap judgments all of the time, don't they? I, I, I know the temptation myself. It, it's so easy for us as people to, to hear one small bit of information, a, a little piece of gossip, and then to make a judgment about someone. Forget the facts, forget hearing the other side of the story. We make snap judgments all of the time. But again, that's not true for God's king. He won't judge by what his eyes see. He, he will judge with righteousness, says Isaiah. <coughs> Excuse me. In other words, you can, you can trust this king to, to make the right call every single time. You can trust this king to, to know the full picture, to look beneath the surface and, and not make superficial, superficial or, or shallow judgments. Verse 4, with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. You've only got to watch the news for a little bit of time to be aware of all the, the horrific injustice that people suffer all around the world. That's particularly true for the poor and the vulnerable in society, isn't it? The people who don't have the, the means or the ability to defend themselves are often the ones who suffer the very worst injustice. But Isaiah says, no, this king, this king is completely just. He will act on the behalf of the poor and needy. He won't be swayed by title or influence or money or prestige. He will judge equally and impartially and no one, no one will stand before him and say, that's not fair. This king is righteous. He is just. End of verse 4, he is powerful. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Again, one of the flaws with human leaders is that they make big promises that they can't deliver on. Just think about the, 
the endless promises that we hear to stop terrorism or to prevent climate change. Big promises. But even with huge amounts of time and money and energy and technology and intelligence, the world is just as fragile, just as volatile as it's ever been. So often our leaders really do desire to do the right thing. They just can't do it. They haven't got the power, the ability to do what they promise. But that is not true for this king. Do you see his power is in his word? He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. This king, he doesn't need any other weapon, any other tool to get the job done. He, he just has to speak. It's in the power of his word that he pronounces judgment. He, he puts an end to evil and injustice just by speaking. And so can you see, you, you put all of that together, just a few verses, you put it all together and, and Isaiah says, look, this, this king is glorious. He's like nothing you've ever seen. He's perfect. Uniquely equipped to, to bring about God's glorious kingdom. Which is what Isaiah goes on to talk about in verse 6. He shows us the kind of kingdom that, that this perfect king will bring about. Uh, look at verse 6 again. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young will put his hand into the viper's nest. They'll neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I think it's true to say that in our world, uh, some people are predators and some people are prey. Sadly, it is so often the case, isn't it, that we see the the strong in society bully the weak. Many of us will, will have watched the news this week and been horrified at what people are capable of doing to each other, or what parents are capable of doing to a six-year-old boy. All of us will have had times when we have felt unnerved or scared by the fact that the world is not as safe as we would like it to be. So can you see in this description, this, this kingdom, in this kingdom, all, all insecurity, all fear is gone. As I says, the wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the goat, the, the calf and the lion, they will, they will lie down together. It's a picture, isn't it? There'll be no more predators to worry about in this world. It's a, it's a picture of a world where, where you can go to any part of town <laughs> at any time of day or night. A picture where a woman can walk down a street without fear of who might speak to them and what they might do. This world is so safe that verse 8 says even a child will be able to play in the cobra's den. But it's more than just safety that Isaiah is getting at. There in verse 8, that, that picture, it's a, it's a picture of Eden restored. Verse 8 is meant to remind us, it's meant to trigger something in our head 
uh, remind us of the curse that humanity has been under since Genesis 3. Remember how the Lord said to Adam and Eve, uh, after they sinned, that there will be enmity between their offspring and the snake. Uh, but here, the, the child is playing with the snake. The enmity is removed. The curse of Genesis 3, as we've sung this evening, will be reversed at the coming of this king. In other words, this, this picture in, in chapter 11 is a picture of paradise. It's a place where the, the effects of sin that we live with every single day are gone, removed. Because, as verse 9 says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This new world, this perfect paradise will be completely safe and secure because the whole world will know God personally. They will have that knowledge, that, that intimacy, that relationship with the Lord, just like the king. Imagine we ask some of our political leaders to finish the sentence, the world will one day be free from danger because. What do you think they would say? Because we're going to be tougher on crime. Because we're going to better educate people. Because we're going to teach tolerance and respect. I'd be surprised if any of them turned around and said, well, because one day God's king will come and the whole world will know him. I'd be surprised if any uh, of our leaders pinned their hopes on a, a world ruled by God's king as the, the only hope that we have. But that is exactly what Isaiah wants us to do. As I want us to pin our hopes firmly on God's king. God's king who will bring about his glorious kingdom. That is, that is his aim here. That, that is what he wants us to grasp hold of. And for him, for Isaiah and for the people in his day, this is all still future. He was pointing to a, a king that would come. It's why verse 10 says, in that day. There's a day coming, says Isaiah, when this king will come. They're, they're looking forward, waiting in hope for him. But did you notice what else is interesting about verse 10? Look, look at verse 10 again. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the people. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Now look back at, at verse 1. Because in verse 1, this king is described as the shoot of Jesse, a descendant from the line of David. But in verse 10, he's the root of Jesse, the one that David comes from. And so the question is, how? How, how can this be right? How can this person be shoot and root? How can he be a king who's both before and after David? Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, turn there, um, just briefly. Luke chapter 1 is on page 1026, if you have a church Bible. And in flicking through those pages, we flicked forward 700 years uh, from Isaiah's prophecy. And this is what we read there. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, 
in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and called Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you see again, just like last week in Isaiah 9, here in the angel's announcement to Mary, on that first Christmas, we see the fulfillment of Isaiah 11. Jesus is declared to be the the eternal son of God and the descendant of David. In other words, he is the promised king who's both before and after King David. We saw this this morning, didn't we? He is fully God and fully man. This is the one, the root and the shoot of David. And so we see, don't we, at his baptism, the gospel writer Matthew records the moments at Jesus' baptism when heaven is opened and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. It, it rests on him, Isaiah 11, verse 1. It rests on him. And then we see in the Gospels, it's like, it's like Isaiah's kind of sketch of the king in chapter 11 it is seen in full colour HD in the person of Jesus Christ. In the, in the Gospels, as you read them, you see Jesus is this man filled with wisdom and understanding so that people are astonished every time he teaches we see in jesus a a man who can look beyond the surface beyond the superficial and judge people's hearts that we see him acting justly towards the poor the needy and the downtrodden we see his powerful word calm a storm cast out demons raise the dead in other words As you read through the Gospels, everywhere that Jesus goes, you get glimpses of this kingdom described in Isaiah 11. I heard someone once say, it's a bit like when you decorate your house. I'm sure people here will have redecorated at some point. The first thing you do, if you're sensible when you redecorate, is go to B&Q and buy loads of those little tester pots, don't you? Uh, The little mini pots and... And the idea is you, you go around and you, and you paint a little patch on your wall and you check it out and see how it might look before you decide to paint the whole thing. Well, as you read the Gospels, it's like, it's like you get a tester pot preview uh, of the kingdom colours in Isaiah 11. Wherever Jesus goes, the change is astonishing. However, at the same time, the rest of the world is still it's still covered in that terrible flowery wallpaper that you were trying to get rid of. Sorry if you have terrible flowery wallpaper. That <laughs> there is still sin and, and sadness and pain in our world. In Isaiah's language, the wolf doesn't yet lie down with the sheep. That is obvious. But by reading the Gospels, we get a, a glimpse, a, 
a taste, a, a tester pot preview of what it will be like when Jesus comes back and redecorates the whole thing. We get a glimpse of that day that, that is described when Isaiah 11 will be a reality. When sin and sickness and suffering will be gone forever. Because Jesus has made all things new. And so can you see that, that part of the promise in Isaiah 11 is still to come for us. We still wait in hope. We, we're just like Isaiah in that way. For us, uh, right now as a, in a season of Advent, we, we look back and forwards. We look back and we rejoice that this king has come. Jesus has come. And we've, we can know him today. We can know this glorious king of righteousness and justice and love today. But at Advent, we also look forward. We look forward and we're reminded that, that we are waiting. We are waiting in hope for the day when our king returns to make all things new. And so we want to think, don't we, as we end now, where we began, which is that question, where, where is your hope this Christmas? And whether you've been a Christian for a long time, or you're just exploring these things, what are you hoping for? Where are you putting your hope, what are you putting your hope in? As you, you look at the darkness and the, and the mess in, in your life, in the world around you, where are you hoping? My hope is that over the last few weeks, as we've just skimmed the surface of these few passages in Isaiah, that you've seen that real hope, lasting hope, True, certain hope can be found only in Jesus Christ, only in the promised king of Isaiah 11. So let's pray that, that we and those around us, those that we know and love, would put up their hope in this king today and every single day until he returns. Let's pray together. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, you will, so the one who was born will be called Son of God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Our oh, Father God, we thank you so much that uh, today we have been able to hear once again of that astonishing miracle. That you, through in your son, entered our world, entered our darkness, entered the mess that we see all around us. And you did it so that we could know you. You did it so that, so that all of these things uh, could one day be removed. Father, we thank you for this glorious picture in Isaiah 11 of a kingdom where there is no sin, no suffering, no pain, no fear. And Father, we thank you that is only possible because of King Jesus. 
Father, please help us to trust him. Help us to put our hope in him today and every day till he returns. And we pray it in his name. Amen.